The New York Football Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Giants ticket prices tend to drop right before the start of games? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. One of the coolest things about the app is when you click on the tickets or Within the game, you instantly see a panoramic view of what your view will be from your seats. That, and then, of course, the easy two-tap checkout is fantastic as well. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. You're listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. Well, on a dreary, rainy fall day, the Giants pretty much play that kind of game. They lose 27-21 to the Cardinals. Tim McMaster here, uh, along with Dan Duggan, is the New York Football Podcast, uh, episode 18, and it's kind of a dark one, Dan. You went to Twitter last night, got your story up, and and posed a question to fans. Uh, You said, has there been a time you felt that this team won due to a coaching advantage and man, did the responses come in. I think it's up to 81 right now, but the fans are not happy. We're going to get into uh, Pat Shermer. We'll get into the quarterback play. We'll break down the whole game. But I thought that was a great point to jump off with was just the state of kind of the fans' mindset right now. Right, yeah, because, I mean, you know, you, you kind of get caught in the moment sometimes, and I sat down to write, and it just kind of started flowing. And then when I finished, I was like, oh, man, I was a little, maybe a little harsher on Shermer. I wasn't trying to, uh, you know, put him on the hot seat and fire him you know, seven games into year two. Uh, but I, I just definitely felt like yesterday's loss was on him. So when I put it out there on Twitter, you kind of never know what the response is going to be, but it at least gives you a, a way to take the temperature of the fans. And like you said, man, they came back and and everybody was just piling on, you know, you know, with far more vitriol than what you know I had written. And you know, I posed that simple question, and I mean, if it was a poll, it would have probably been like 98% no. I mean, there just there just hasn't been a game where you feel like the Giants were the better coach team. I mean, obviously, they haven't won a lot of games regardless, but definitely they've had talent issues. Um, you know, the roster is certainly not, you know, a, a great, you know, a great composition of players right now. But you can't play the talent card after that game yesterday. I, I can't believe people are trying to do that to defend Shermer and say that, like, you know, it's the roster's fault. I mean, look at the situation. You had extra time to prepare because you're coming off a Thursday night game. You have a team from the West traveling east playing at 1 p.m., and historically that's a problem. You know, you have a rookie quarterback, so you can't use the excuse that you know the Giants have their own rookie quarterback. You also have a rookie head coach who is you know coaching in his seventh NFL game and wasn't a great college coach. There was tons of questions about Kingsbury's you know reputation and resume coming in, and one of the worst defenses in the league. And you managed two offensive touchdowns. You fall in a 17 nothing hole. We'll definitely get into the late game decisions and sort of the game management stuff, which I've just been, you know, kind of banging that drum all season. But th- I mean, that was a game where, you know, good coaching should get you a W. Everything was lined up for them. And I really think it was more like bad coaching cost them. And that's just where the, the questions with Shermer are only going to get louder, only going to intensify because listen, you, you know, Bill, Bill, Bill Parcells said it, you are what your record says you are. And it's just, I know he's been in some tough situations, but the guy just hasn't won. So you have to wonder, what can you see that indicates that suddenly it's going to change? And yesterday, 
was a step in the complete wrong direction. It just felt like this guy's probably not the answer. Again, I'm not saying they need to fire him tomorrow. He definitely gets to play out the season. I think they're going to give him 2020. But you do just have to wonder, are you going to waste a year confirming what we already can kind of see right now? Because you assume the roster will be better after another offseason of you know, free agency and drafts. But if they don't take that step next year, you can't say it would caught you off guard because it just did not look like Shermer is that guy. And that loss of the Cardinals was probably the strongest evidence to, to support that case to date. Yeah, because before that, you know, most of the losses came in games where you said, okay, they were outclassed on the field by that team with the talent level. And the wins that they took uh, were, you were like, okay, that that's a win, a, a game that they could have won and should have won maybe, but but it's a win. And this was the one where you felt like going in, it could have gone either way. This is two teams that are in similar positions, but in a lot of ways, the Giants should have had that advantage. You mentioned being the home team on the East Coast versus the West Coast team and all of that, and it just goes the other way. And you mentioned the late game decisions. Let's go right to that now because I, I always find it's interesting. You watch a football game and you kind of formulate ideas in your own mind if you're not on Twitter too much. Um, and I wasn't because I watched this game actually after the fact. And then I, I wait for the, you know to read the stories and dive into them afterward and see if they match up. And man, they certainly did because I'm watching the fourth quarter and I couldn't believe the one kind of the way it played out there. It was the third and eighteen. Um, and the Giants have it deep in their own territory, and they're setting up. They're down three points at that point, um, and they go to the draw play to Saquon. He picks up three yards, and they're left with a fourth and 15, and I'm thinking, well, now they're going to punt, and they go for it, and so many alarms kind of go off in my head. Um, I guess after the fact, we learned that it was an audible, that Jones actually audible to the draw play. It wasn't the initial play. That said, I guess it's a teaching moment because – Seems like the wrong time to audible to a draw play. But to to know that he said after the game, Shermer, he knew he was going to go for it on fourth down. So to know you're going to go for it on fourth down, you know you have to get more than three yards on the third down to make it reasonable. you got to go to the air, Dan. And for him to do it and then go for it anyway on fourth and 15, it just blew my mind. Just give me your take of that sequence because that's the one that's really kind of standing out after this loss. Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, I will – I'll take him in two parts. The, the third and 18, running the draw, I don't have as big a problem with that, especially if it is a check. I mean, these guys are kind of programmed. You see a certain look, you, you know, whatever pass play they had, maybe it wasn't going to work against that look. So you figure – you know, I don't I don't hate the idea that, like, Saquon can break that run for 8 or 10 yards. He's not going to get 18, but if you know it's 4-down territory – I don't hate it. I mean, and obviously it's a lot easier to second guess when it gets three yards and certainly whatever look they thought they were getting, you know, Arizona was still able to defend the draw. My bigger problem though is, all right, so it's third and 18. You decide your head's four down territory. When you get three yards on the draw, you have to adjust. I, I don't understand. It, it wasn't that dire of a situation where, you, you know, it's, you could have said it wasn't the Patriots game last week when it was fourth and two and you're now 14. Then you got to go for it no matter what, in my opinion. But it's fourth and 15, and you have two timeouts plus the two-minute warning. You know, Arizona have been playing uber conservatively, so they're probably – you kind of know they're just going to run the ball. They haven't been able to do a lot in the second half. I don't understand how you don't punt there. So, again, the draw, I mean, the, the, the audible, I, I think that's probably what Eli would have done. That's what, you know, most quarterbacks would have done in that situation. I, I, you know, and you just – you hope you pop it for, like I said, 8, 10 yards and give yourself fourth and manageable. But once it doesn't work – you have to recalibrate. And that just goes back to where I, I just feel like Shermer gets so like kind of tense and caught up in the moments and doesn't do that. 
it, it's like the logic, at least he gave some logic because the Patriots punt, he just said, oh, I felt like it was the right thing to do, which you know, I came off really bad. But I, I just couldn't follow his logic. Then he threw in the line. I was trying to get Saquon involved. I mean, that it yeah. almost felt like a throwback dig because he always gets criticized for not getting Saquon the ball enough. I don't think anyone's worried about Saquon's usage when it's third and 18 in that situation. Um, but yeah, it, well, because he didn't even say it was an audible at first. He, you know, he basically took the took the fall for the call and then kind of twisted. So he does a tough job articulating sort of his thought process, which which even just kind of muddles the picture even more. But so again, once it's fourth and fifteen, you punt the ball. Again, you, you you obviously plan to get a stop, three and out. They punt it back, and you're basically in the same situation in like thirty seconds of run off the clock. You have no timeouts at that point, but you're just still gonna need a field goal to tie touchdown wins and you know you have a shot for him to say like things worked out exactly how he thought i mean like he, he just discounts the fact that you gave them the ball in field goal range i mean that i know obviously the upside is you convert the fourth and 15 but clearly that was a long shot and you know the, the play never got off the ground because the cardinals you know did a good job with that corner blitz but i mean peterson got to jones before the routes would even, had even developed because that's the problem with fourth and 15 the, the defense can kind of sell out in that situation because they know you're not going to throw a short pass then um, so, I mean, it just, it's the idea that everything worked out the way you hoped. Well, now you're down six when they get the ball back and you need a touchdown. You, the field goes out of play. And obviously it never even became a consideration because the, the line broke down and, and Jones was under siege. But uh, I mean, that, that's the moment that's going to stand out. It's going to follow Shermer for a long time, unless he somehow turns this thing around because, you know, there's been, you know, we've been dropping the breadcrumbs. There's been little signs that his game management it is, isn't as sharp as it needs to be, but it really crystallized in that situation. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm fourth and 15 from your own 33 in that situation with two timeouts is it's just football one-on-one. You punt it away, get a stop, and, and you hope you have two minutes left to go down and, and, you know, basically be in the same situation, like I said. So that was, uh, that was a brutal decision. And, you know, he's, he's just very stubborn and doesn't do a good job after the game of, of explaining himself or even just, just take all the blame. You know, you, you don't even have to, rationalize it just say listen that was a bad call by me but he, he never really seems to do that and it just it all kind of adds up and mounts and, and it results in a fan base that you know is trying to run the guy out of town which uh, is pretty surprising because you thought you know four or five weeks ago the arrow was pointing up and it shows how fast things can change in the nfl yeah and it's so different than the just the i guess attacking philosophy against the patriots just the last game where he did punt on the fourth and two and then for this time around to go for it on the fourth and 15 i know it's a different game it's a different opponent there's a ton of different things but it just seems like the philosophy in his mind kind of changed there on the on the way it goes but yeah that, the, the that's line, a big problem i that's a big problem i have is there's there's, there's no identity there's a lack yeah. of consistency things seem reactionary again i don't i'm not gonna give us enough credit that he's responding to the media but it does feel like when he gets criticized for decision he overcompensates the next opportunity and goes too far. And, and again, that's, I mean, to see those a stark contrast, fourth and two down 14, you punt, fourth and 15 down three, and you go for it. I mean, it's it just, they don't, they don't add up. Yeah, they certainly don't. Another moment in this game, um, he a challenge on the replay, the, the pass interference call. He's now 0, 0 for 5 on replays. That's not great either. And the thing that, that's interesting, Dan, is that nobody is getting those calls overturned, yet Shermer seems to keep going to it. Um, it's, it's just not going to happen. And that one in that spot um, where even if the Giants win that challenge, Arizona's just sitting in a pretty good position anyway, second and three, just seemed like a, a clear spot to just hold on to that flag and, and not challenge something that just doesn't seem worth it. Yeah, and, and he said after the Patriots game, because he tried one then, 
and, and I think he's probably right in, in both challenges, like in terms of it, they right. probably were the wrong calls and they should have been reversed. And he said, but he admitted he's not, he's aware that they're just not changing them. And he said as much. And then even after the game, he says, I'm going to continue to do it. I know they're getting overturned at a low percentage. So like you, you're aware that it's not going to get changed, but you're like, you're just throwing the flag out of like protest. I mean, I know he says the first half, so maybe the timeouts aren't as valuable, but you never know those, the amount of challenges you have can come on, come into play. It's just, it's just not a well thought out situation. If you're aware, you're probably going to have very low odds. And again, he's 0 for 5 and, 0, and 4 of those were on uh, pass interference challenges. You're aware that it's not going to get overturned, but you're still going to do it. I mean, there was a stat on Sunday I was reading on ESPN that I believe it was 4 for 37 on coaches' pass interference challenges being overturned. And this was from a, a Patriots writer. Bill Belichick hasn't thrown a red flag once on a pass interference call this year. So listen, it's when in doubt, do what Belichick does is, is a pretty good thing to follow <laughs> for most coaches because he's a, obviously a brilliant tactician and he he's decided, listen, whatever I think of the rule, because Pat Shermer clearly hates the rule, hates the process. Whatever I think of the rule, Bill Belichick says, it's not going to work out for me, so I'm just not even going to bother. And Shermer just just keeps doing it. And it's just it's a strange, stubborn streak. And, and as you said, situationally, I, I didn't hate the one uh, in the Patriots game because you're desperation mode. You, you need that to, to have a chance to stay alive. He had another one, uh, Shepard passed deep. I think it was in the Vikings game. The end zone was fourth down. I don't hate that either because, again, it's it's either you, you maybe miraculously get it changed and, you know, you have a shot or the game's over. So those two I don't have a big problem with. But this situation, you're talking second and three at midfield or first and ten at the 30 because you'd already gone off sides in that play. It's the upside there is minimal. And, and again, just the, his, his explanation of, well, I know it's probably not going to work. I'm going to keep doing it. That's just the the sort of stubborn stubbornness that you're seeing really seep into a lot of decision making, and, and it's really just not a good trait for a head coach. It's the uh, definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing <laughs> exactly. over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Uh, yep, a little insanity creeping into the Giants right now. All right, let's move on from Shermer. I'm sure we'll talk plenty about him as the the weeks kind of continue to mount. Uh, the next game against the Lions probably going to be on the closer side, so there's going to be decisions to be made, uh, and we will get to grade the head coach again. But let's move on uh, to Daniel Jones, another not a great performance, 22 of 35, 235 uh, through the air, touchdown and interception. Um, tough conditions, obviously a lot of rain at Giants Stadium, and he had to deal with that. He also had to deal with a lot of pressure from uh, this Cardinals defense. Jones sacked eight times for 67 yards that they lost on those sacks. Um, Now, some of them he had no chance. Other ones I felt like he definitely held on to the ball too long. How would you kind of divvy that up, um, Dan, overall? Did you feel like um, this was more on the offensive line for the most part or more on Jones hanging onto the football? Well, I mean, I have to almost give the the coach answer. I haven't, you know, rewatched it, but you know, yeah. just based on what I saw live, I, I it's, it's easy to say like some of them are on Jones and sure, but then do you turn around and give him credit because he scrambled four times, so he, he bailed the offensive line out there. At the end of the day, eight sacks to me, that's more on the offensive line than anything else. And I think there was I saw a stat that there's 22 pressures, so that's not Jones's fault. That's offensive lineman getting beat and defensive lineman being in the backfield. So there's certainly times, don't get me wrong, that he needs to get rid of the ball quicker especially on uh, the fumbles. He's just he's not feeling the pressure sometimes where he could definitely help out his offensive line. But even if there is a pressure, you know, throw the ball away. Um, so he's definitely late to, to feel the pressure sometimes. But no, I, I mean, I think it's much more on the offensive line. It also could be on the backs not picking up sometimes. I, I want to say it's not just the five guys up front. I think you know, there's probably some issues with the backs picking up pressures. And then 
I'm going to keep banging this drum too. The wide receivers just do not get separation. So if it's third and 12, Jones drops back the pass, and nobody's getting open, eventually guys are going to get by the offensive line. Jones is holding the ball trying to make a play, and he gets sacked. I mean, that type of thing seems to happen a lot, and it's happening more with him because Eli was so quick to check it down, and we killed him for that because it was, you know, you're just conceding and you're going to punt because it's third and 12 and you throw a two-yard pass and, and, you know, you get six yards and, and kick it away. So it's such a fine line on, on that regard with the quarterback play, but I do like that he, you know, tries to be aggressive, but if receivers aren't getting open, that puts more burden on everybody because the line has to protect longer. Jones has to try and you know, hold the ball longer. So I think that's sort of a under-the-radar problem that just continues to, to hamper this offense, in my opinion. I think you really see how much they miss Sterling Shepard because you know, Tate's pretty good um, at what he's always done in the slot and you know, kind of finding the soft spots in the, in the underneath and in the middle. I mean, he had a few where he, he didn't make the catch uh, yesterday, but that's his game. When they split him out wide and try and do anything down the field, I mean, he, he just can't get any separation. They need, I mean, I don't know what – they don't really have another option, but they just need Shepard back because that Tate can't can't do that. And, again, it might be a while with Shepard with the concussions. We don't know. But Tate's just totally ineffective in that role. So that that's a that's a problem right now because they don't have another option. Uh, but, but back to the original point, I mean, the, the offensive line, it's definitely taking a little bit of a step back here. I mean, I know it's like the third straight offseason where the, it's been proclaimed it's been rebuilt. And it's definitely been better so far this year than, than recent additions, which were you know wasn't a really high bar to clear. But it's not rebuilt because the tackle spots are, are major issues. Both of the guys are older. You know, I think Mike Remmers was clearly brought in as a stopgap, and you see why he was available for you know a two and a half million dollar contract when you know tackles are probably the most valuable commodity in the league. You know, we've talked a lot about Nate Solder. Certainly hasn't lived up to his contract, but he's really I mean, he's just not playing well. Period. I mean, Chandler Jones ate both of those guys up on Sunday. Uh, even the interior guys, I mean, you know, Jalapio kind of is what he is. I don't feel like Hernandez has taken this, you know, big step to all pro level. I think Zeitler has been up and down. And certainly, is, you know, I definitely think he's battling through the shoulder injury. But that group is is leaving something to be desired. And then you combine it with a rookie quarterback who holds the ball too long and you end up with a game like Sunday. Yeah, Jones four sacks overall. Uh, five starts now for Jones, uh, for Daniel Jones. Seven interceptions, five fumbles. He's lost four of those. The interception was brutal. That was earlier, obviously, but um, just a bad throw. Um, double coverage, and Tate really never had a chance. After the game, was Jones talking about did did he just force it into a spot that he could think he could thread a needle, or did he not see one of the defenders? He, he chalked it up as just a force. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that was a third and long again. And, I, I mean, maybe he didn't see the second defender, but, I mean, there was there was no window to get that ball into. <laughs> so he just he just tried to force something that wasn't there. Again, it's it's that it's that double-edged sword where it's third and long, and, and, you know, you credit him for trying to make a play, but, you know, that the interception gives Arizona a short field, and, and just like that, you're in a bigger hole. So definitely some room to develop there where you have to just – kind of know that you you know you lost the down but let's not make it worse by by turning the ball over because that, that throw just wasn't there I don't you know I don't really even know what he saw there so that was uh that was a tough one but I mean that was that was the only interception I, the thing I like about him is as bad as it can go at times he never looks shell-shocked he never looks like overwhelmed he doesn't come back and just throw the ball for grabs even with all the pressure it doesn't feel like he's hearing footsteps he's still staying in there and trying to make his reads I mean, the touchdown pass to Ellison was was really pretty. That, that when that came out of his hand, I'll be honest, I thought it was a pick, and you know, safety certainly didn't probably play that as aggressively as he should have. But still, just kind of the courage to 
to throw that ball into that tight of a window downfield, you couldn't have placed it any better. Um, You're still seeing enough positives, in my opinion, that there is hope that, you know, as he develops, as he gets experience, as he learns what he can and can't get away with, that, you know, this is still going to be a good quarterback. I think it's crazy that, you know, people are, it feels like people, some people are looking at every opportunity to just like jump off the bus. Like he's a rookie. He doesn't have a great team around him. It's not going to just be this smooth trajectory to, you know, Patrick Mahomes territory. There's going to be some bumps in the road. It, you know, there's been a few now the last couple of weeks. Let's see how he responds. But again, I do still see some glimmers where you say like, if he can just, you know, smooth out the, the ball security and the turnovers, there's still a lot of positives here to work with. So, you know, that's where I, I kind of continuously graded him on a on a rookie curve. And it's he's sort of been hovering in that B minus a C plus range for the last couple of weeks. But that's what you'd expect from him. And, and it's just all about, you know, going forward. Can he start to correct some of these things? So you start getting into that B, B plus range. Um, and you want to see a game, you know, sooner than later that reminds you of that Tampa performance where he was really on, on point. But it's uh, it's going to be a process and, and anyone who thinks it'll be smooth and easy just go you know go on game pass and rewatch the 2004 season and, and you know the quarterback who's sitting on the sideline with two Super Bowl rings it wasn't always pretty for him as a rookie either so uh, you have to be patient with them and, and I don't think you can be overacting to uh, you know a rough stretch early in his career yeah the touchdown pass was great um, he also made some great throws on the drive where they cut it to 24-21 that one ended with the Barkley touchdown run but he made some nice throws down the field on that one as well and really the mistakes I feel like we've seen and I went back to the uh, the NFL draft combine notes last night to just refresh my memory of, of what people said about him coming out of school and it's kind of the same things and those are the things we knew he was going to have to work on right uh, these are directly from the combine notes uh, waits an extra step before cutting it loose too often, attempts throws into some impossible windows, showed willingness to throw it up for grabs rather than take a sack, loose ball handling and face of pressure leads to fumbles. I mean, those are the things that he's dealing with, the mistakes he makes, and that's what he is what we, we knew he was, I guess, coming out of college, and that's what the Giants knew I think they had to work on, and it is going to take time, but it is interesting that those those same mistakes that we knew he was, we knew they were his shortcomings coming out of college. They are early in his career. The key is, can he get that turned around? Can he improve on those things here going forward? And, and we're going to see throughout this season if he can continue to improve. The turnovers there, though, are, are just killer when you're in a game like this where you feel like you can – that's a team that can be beaten and the turnovers are, they just make all the difference. You can't beat a team, whether you're better than them, worse than them or whatever, when you're turning it over three times and the other team isn't, you can't just battle that way. Um, yeah. No, I went back and read that draft profile, like Lance Zerline, who does this up front of NFL.com. He's really good. And yeah, he certainly can probably take a bow today because yeah, he, he certainly <laughs> has seemed to, to nail some of the weaknesses. And I went back, you know, you, re- you nailed some of the positives, the strengths as well, but um, you know, he, these guys are, you know, they're good at what they do. They go back and watch all the college tape and, and, and sort of figure out what stuff's going to translate to the NFL. And as much as the strengths translate, the weaknesses too do too. You don't just erase you know, some of the, the bad habits you developed throughout your career. That's why, hey, Pat Shermer is this quarterback guru. And we'll see. That'll be put to the test because, again, you give him a pass uh, for you know, mistakes and errors early in career, but you do need to see improvement. The one play that really you know, stuck out to me yesterday that I don't give him a rookie pass on was the first strip sack by Chandler Jones because you there's nothing about the NFL or anything like that. He had to feel a free rusher coming. And because the problem was, it wasn't like he was looking downfield. He was waiting for a, a muddied screen to clear up. Barkley kind of got caught in the wash. 
you see, you know, quarterbacks from, you know, every level on up, you just spike that at his feet and live to fight another down. That was a problem of him you know, trying and trying and trying to extend a play. And then also just having poor awareness because again, Chandler Jones is screaming off the edge. He's not going to like take a detour. He knows where he's going and you got to protect the ball in that situation. If you're not going to throw it away, you better, you know, turtle up a little bit in, in that spot. And those are the things the the, the loose ball security in the pocket were uh, definitely an issue in college. And, and that's something that we go back all the way to the preseason was a concern. Like, again, the interceptions have sort of been a little bit of a variety of reasons. But just not protecting the ball, that's something that I, like, you don't get three years to figure that out. Like That should be just every single day. There's nothing more important. I don't know if you have to walk around the facility with a football like they do in the movies. But uh, that's something that just you gotta got to eliminate that from the game. You hit in the back like you did from Patrick Peterson, what are you going to do? But when, when you can see the pressure coming and, and the pocket's collapsing, you've got to do a better job protecting the ball. That's the one I don't give him. Hey, he's a rookie. He'll figure it out. Because those types of issues... There's, there's no excuse. You got to clean them up. And, and if you don't, you know, some guys just, you know, have sort of fumble issues throughout their careers and, and you don't want to, you know, start going down that road. All right. A couple more things on the offensive side. Uh, we went into this game. We talked about it late last week that the Cardinals struggle so much defending tight ends. Um, they had let number one tight ends burn them all season long, but just a, a tough day for Evan Ingram. He, uh, one catch, six yards for Ingram, five targets. Ellison did have the two catches and the touchdown out of the tight end position, but this seemed to be a game that just lined up for Ingram to just run wild on this Arizona defense, and it just, want, it just wasn't there. He had the one big drop, but overall it feels like five targets wasn't enough, and one catch for six yards is a missed opportunity for this Giants offense when you're looking at a weak, the weaknesses of the defense you're about to face. Yeah, it's a hard one to explain because, yeah, they've gotten torched by tight ends that you don't, you wouldn't even put on Ingram's level. It's not like they were going against the you know Travis Kelsey's and, and Zach Ertz, those types of guys. There were some, some weak tight ends that were really having a field day against Arizona coming in, so it lined up like a big game for Ingram. But th- this has sort of been the, the like M.O. of Ingram where he's, he's, you know, he's up and down, he's shaking off injuries. He's one of these guys that, like, in August, you just like, he's going to have a big year. This is going to be the year. He looks awesome. And then he has a couple games, and you say, "Oh, here it comes!" And he just like just something doesn't always click. There's always little setbacks and bumps in the road. I mean, he'll probably bounce back next week for like eight for 120 catches, and you're back the other way. He just needs to somehow discover a level of consistency. But yeah, I mean, five targets isn't great, but it doesn't help when you know he had two drops. One was a short pass, but that other one could have been a big play, and it's a, a different stat line for him. And it would have you know obviously helped the Giants' offense a, a great deal. They they needed a big play in that spot, and that was just a flat drop. So th- that's just with, with it with him. It's just the, the the inconsistency is sort of maddening because the talent is obviously there, but for whatever reason he's just not able to take that next step to get into that elite tight end level. I mean, again, he shows flashes of it. Um, but yesterday's performance was sort of a reminder that we've kind of been down this road with him before where, oh, like this is the year or this is the week and then he just doesn't deliver. Not saying he's not a good player and a valuable player, but there just seems to be a little something missing that's preventing him from taking that next step, like I said, into that elite level of tight end. Yeah, and he'll keep getting chances, that's for sure. But at some point, he's got to put together a, a few big games in a row. All right, then Barkley obviously returns. Um, the stats overall, 18 carries, 17 yard, 72 yards. He broke off a couple good ones, three catches for eight yards. Showed some rust on the hands there at a few points in the game where uh, he struggled to make some catches. Um, scary moment in the third quarter, too, where he had a play that looked really 
similar to the actual initial injury with players falling on him, but he came back from that one. So how do you grade Barkley in his first game back? He, he seemed, if nothing else, he didn't seem tentative, which I think is a good thing. No, but he didn't look 100%. Like He didn't look like that same level of explosiveness. He also had a little bit of that where I feel like he missed time and he was trying to make a big play because he was kind of getting back to the bad habits of spinning out of everything and backtracking and like, it's just that he did that a little bit early in his rookie year. And, and sure, once in a while it does pan out, but it certainly didn't work on Sunday. And uh, it felt like, you know, maybe he was just trying to make up for lost time and, and, you know, get a huge play to really, you know, tell everybody he's back. It was interesting. I listened to the, you know, the WFAN radio broadcast during games. And there was a stretch after he was, you know, came up gimpy on that third quarter run and they had to go retape the ankle where Carl Banks was saying they should take him out of the game. He was saying, you know, he's a straight line runner right now. He can't protect himself. Now, <laughs> that kind of became cold takes exposed because like it was the next drive where, where Barkley looked really good and, and you know pounded in the touchdown run. Um, so, yeah, but to, to Carl's point, like he didn't look he didn't look great uh, at that stretch there where he he said someone kind of banged into his ankle. He came up limping, had to go get retaped, and I just think that's going to be the issue probably all season. You know, maybe the bye is when he starts to you know get some more rest again. But this high ankle sprain, I, I keep saying it. It lingers. It gets re-aggravated. Now, granted, it doesn't seem like it was a severe re-aggravation, but it's just one of those things that in four weeks, we all knew it wasn't going to heal 100%. And you're playing that position, you're going to get people falling on you. You're going to get people hitting it. So I think he's just going to have to manage this sort of pain and, and limitations throughout the season. Not saying they should you know, shut him down or anything like that, because I mean, he certainly looked healthy enough to play. But he did seem to be missing, you know, maybe that ex- that extra gear, and and again, it's just going to be something that they're going to have to kind of manage all season. It's probably going to be very frustrating because he's probably going to feel great, and then someone will hit it, and he's going to have to, you know, two step forward, one step back a little bit with that type of injury. Um, so yeah, he looked he looked good on Sunday, but he did not look like you know vintage Saquon because I mean we talked about Ingram having a matchup. You know, run games have had some pretty good success against that Arizona defense, and you know, four yards of carries is pretty middling for a guy like Saquon who's so explosive. I mean, I think he broke, you know, maybe one long run. He had another one called back because of a hold, but he just wasn't able to really, you know, be explosive and, and get into the secondary and make big plays like we're accustomed to seeing from him. So Barkley's return was okay. Uh, Chase Edmonds' homecoming return to the New York area was was pretty good. Uh, Chase Edmonds, the Fordham uh, grad, obviously, who broke all those records while at Fordham, has a huge day filling in for David Johnson, who was clearly banged up. Uh, Edmonds goes 27 carries, 126 yards, three touchdowns, and, and ran all over this Giants defense. So let's touch on the defense a little bit here at the end. Um, they gave up all those rushing yards. The Cardinals scored on their first three possessions, and then it seemed like the Giants' defense looked better after that. But this seems like a recurring theme where they come out of the gate poorly and then maybe play a little bit better in the second half or later in the game. But but the way this thing started, you can't fall behind 17 nothing to the Cardinals. No, I mean, absolutely not. And it was really disheartening because back to the whole point of having all the extra time and they had a good performance against the Patriots. So, you know, it's probably their best performance of the day. I don't care what they did against, you know, the Redskins offense. And you felt like, oh, the defense is maybe make some strides. And then to come out and just, you know, lay an egg like that early was, was really disheartening. I mean, Edmonds, it's funny because when we had uh, Scott Bordeaux, our Cardinals writer on the podcast last Thursday, I joked that I hadn't had a chance to do much uh, Cardinals scouting because I was busy with other stuff. But I did get a chance to go back and watch their Falcons game. And he stood out on tape. I was like, wow, this guy is explosive. I mean, he... 
he didn't have a ton of carries because Johnson was healthy in that game. But every time he touched the ball, he was like a threat. Yeah, I think he averaged like seven or eight yards a carry that game. And you saw it on Sunday where all three touchdown runs, I mean, they were blocked up very well and they were defended very poorly. But he hit that second level and turned on the afterburners. I, he barely got touched on three touchdown runs of 20 and twenty yards or more, which is, is pretty tough to do. And, uh, you know, again, I, the Giants defense was very complicit in that. But he definitely is a guy who opened some eyes for me. And uh, I think he's uh, he's got a future for a guy who's like a fourth-round pick out of Fordham. He, he looked pretty impressive. But uh, to, to back to the, you know, the Giants' point of view, it's just the linebacker. There's no. There's just not playmakers, at least consistently on this defense. You know, I, you know, Marcus Golden has definitely you know given a nice jolt in the pass rush, but down in down out, they just don't have difference makers on this defense. I mean, who you know who stepped up and you know made a play yesterday when they needed it? Because even if we want to give them credit for sort of settling down, I also think that was a lot of the Cardinals saying, "Listen, we're up seventeen nothing on the road in miserable weather with a rookie quarterback." Let's just kind of get out of here. They didn't exactly put the pedal to the metal. They were just content to play very conservatively and ball control, and they weren't they weren't exactly trying to to light it up. They they really just wanted to play it safe and uh, to hold on to that lead. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't know where the defense kind of goes from here because it felt like that that Patriots game was a step in the right direction, and then you turn right around and, and to to give up the 17 points early and put your team in such a deep hole. That was that was a really bad sign. And, you know, again, I just I don't know who who has shown much from this this defense. I mean, no one's really emerging. You know, Peppers had the big game against the Redskins, but he's very up and down. And we were all, you know, kind of throwing bouquets at bouquets at Derek Dexter Lawrence. He was really a non factor yesterday. You know, BJ Hill's kind of an MIA this whole season. So, I mean, I, you know, I don't know where they turn things around defensively, uh, but that was just definitely a discouraging performance against an offense that really. Um, you know, hasn't been that high powered, you know, coming into Sunday. Yeah, they held Murray in check for the most part, 14 to 21, 104 yards. He ran a little bit, um, but they also, like you said, got very conservative once they got that lead. Overall, you look at this game and, and kind of big thoughts. The Cardinals weren't that good in this game. I mean, Murray was coming off an NFC Offensive Player of the Week performance where he threw for uh, 300 yards and three touchdowns and, and really tore it up. And he was he looked like a rookie in this game. You know, there was a play late in the game where he should have gone down and he ran out of bounds and stopped. The, there was a lot of little things where you're like, all right, yeah, this is a rookie quarterback. Then the Cardinals also had 10 penalties for 85 yards in this game. I mean, it was sloppy all around. And for the Giants to lose it, just big picture, it it, it felt like a real bad step in the wrong direction. And it makes you concerned when you look ahead, even to the Lions next week. Yeah, I mean, I, like I think we talked a lot last week. This four-game stretch was really going to define the season. You, you're two and four, had two tough losses, but you knew you'd have Saquon and Engram coming back, and the schedule led up a little bit. The NFC East standing were, were looking, uh, you know, like they were in position to scoreboard watch, even though I said they, they shouldn't do that, and that continues now that they're uh, now they're two games back. But you know, Arizona was the first one at home, sort of a weak opponent. You would have liked to get that one to to really have something to build on because now you have at Detroit, Dallas on Monday night, and they seem to you know regain their groove against Philly uh, on Sunday Night Football. And then the Jets, which will be a, a very interesting game, to, you know, big-time measuring stick for both teams. Uh, that, that'll certainly be a fun one. But uh, as much as the four games looked like they could maybe go 2-2, two and two, even 3-1, and one, just as easily they could go you know 1-3 and three or, or, God forbid, 0-4 because then the sky would really be falling. But these games are all manageable. 
but you know, I don't think they'll be favored in any of them. You know, maybe the Jets game, but they're certainly they're already fa- they're already you know I think touchdown underdogs at uh, Detroit. I'm sure they'll be underdogs when Dallas comes to town. Uh, so it, it's it they're certainly at a crossroads because now you're two and five. If they're you know two and eight, three and three and seven at the bye, that's just gonna make for you know a pretty rough you know end of the season stretch there where the the schedule gets tough again, and you're just gonna start to wonder. You know, sort of what direction are they headed? Um, it just felt like it was a huge missed opportunity against the Cardinals. Now, that's not to say that they can't go into Detroit and beat the Lions. It's not like the Lions have been world beaters or anything like that. But it just it just felt like they, they had a big missed opportunity. And now you see that, like, things could could get pretty bleak unless they're able to, to sort of dig down and, and, and bounce back, you know, on the road uh, against a decent team that, you know, I, I I totally understand why the Lions are favored because it's just tough to have a lot of faith in the Giants after that performance against Arizona. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll have a full preview of that game coming up, of course, later in the week. That one will be exclusively available uh, for subscribers of The Athletic. So make sure you get that subscription and you can listen to all of our podcasts and, of course, all the great writing of Dan and all of our other writers here at The Athletic. Well, you know, the Giants, there's, there's struggles, but let's look at the positives. The Giants currently have the sixth overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Prospects to Pros podcast with Dane Brugler and Chris Burke is your year-round NFL Draft podcast covering all of the top talent and ever-changing draft order. So be sure to check out Prospects to Pros right here on The Athletic. I mentioned we have a full podcast coming up later in the week previewing that Lions game. Make sure you also follow Dan on Twitter, dduggan 21 Thanks to our producer, Marissa Morris, as well. We will talk to you later in the week.